And we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and then going over to chapter 20 this morning in your Bibles. Um, I want to tell a story first of all. Earl Willer tells the story of two men that grew up um, together as best friends. Jim was a little bit older than Philip and often assumed the role of the leader. And uh, But they did everything together. They went to high school together. They went to college together. And then after college, they joined the Marines. And by a unique set of circumstances, they were sent to Germany uh, to fight side by side in the war. One sweltering day um, after a fierce battle and amid heavy gunfire, um, they were given the command to retreat. And so the men were running back, and Jim all of a sudden noticed that Philip uh, was not there with the others, and so panic gripped his heart. And Jim knew that if they didn't get, if they didn't see Philip real soon, he wouldn't make it. And so Jim begged his commanding officer to let him go back and get Philip. Uh, but his commanding officer said, no, it would just be an act of suicide. And um, Jim decided at that point to disobey and to risk his own life. And he went after Philip. And um, <laughs> a short time later, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field, carrying a limp body in his hands and his arms. And Jim's commanding officer abraded him, shouting at him, uh, about wasting uh, time, and it was such an outrageous risk. And he said, your friend is dead, and there wasn't anything you could do. And Jim uh, simply replied, no, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in time. Before he died, the last words he said is, I knew you would come. <laughs> well, Jonathan and David were those kind of friends in the Scripture. And I, as I've already mentioned, intend to get to 1 Samuel chapter 20. But you really can't go there unless you understand the first four verses of chapter 18. And so I want to start there. And uh, the text will be up on the screen, uh, 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, it's rather unfortunate that I should even need to defend this text uh, in light of our cultural twin, uh, trends to twist Scripture to accommodate our various lifestyles, but I want to briefly do that this morning uh, because this happens to be one of the key texts that the LBGTQ community used to justify um, their lifestyle choices. And so I want to just quickly give a rebuttal to that uh, I won't do a good job or a sufficient job, but I want you to understand that there's biblical reasons for why we have traditionally um, interpreted this, uh, this text, as I will do so today. First of all, there is a very sharp um, contradiction. Um, such teaching is in sharp contradiction to the very clear and specific teaching of other scriptures uh, that directly address that lifestyle. 
Um, so one principle of biblical interpretation is that you don't use a vague text that doesn't clearly say something to override another text that very clearly does say something. <laughs> so that is one principle of, of, of biblical interpretation. There is also a second biblical interpretation principle, and that is that you don't read into a text what is not clearly there. Um, and, and so, and that is what is so often done here. Thirdly, from a historical perspective, even though the gay lifestyle has been around for thousands of years, this text has never ever been used in history uh, to support that lifestyle until 1948 for the very first time. <laughs> and then in recent decades, a lot more often. That says something about our culture. And it's a very clear warning because not just in this issue, but in any issue of life, if we be, you know, if it's one thing to sin and then look to the Word of God and say, this is sin. If you can look to the Word of God, trust the Word of God, call your sin sin, you still can be forgiven of your sin. But once you begin to re-twist the scriptures to make them say something they do not say, and you begin to justify your sin so that it is no longer sin, is there any forgiveness for something that is not sin? So be very, very careful about taking the scriptures, twisting them to say something they do not say, to justify your behavior. And that is where our culture and where our world is wanting to go. They want to just take our scriptures, twist them to justify their behavior, sin, and we do this in the church too, by the way. (laughs) And if we can just take the scriptures and twist them to justify our sin, then we're left without the ability to be forgiven by the God who loves us and wants to forgive us and reclaim us and make us whole. So be very careful about that. Fourthly, the word that is used here for love throughout the other scriptural passages of, in scripture where that same Hebrew word is used, it always refers to commitment level, not to sexual um, love. And so we need to understand that in terms of this text. And then lastly, um, David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba is never covered up, and it is never excused. David repented, and he went on with his life. If David had committed this kind of sin that is very clearly condemned in Scripture, especially in Leviticus, um, it would certainly not have been dismissed or overlooked either. There would have been a prophet Nathan that would have addressed it in his life. Remember, David just about got by with his other sin if it hadn't been for the prophet of God who came and pointed it out. 
and charged him with it. And God would have done the very same thing in this act. So just giving that background there because you will hear this text used. Uh, more and more as our culture tries to twist the scriptures to accommodate our lifestyles. Um, what this text is really about is healthy male friendships. I like what G, or J. Lee Grady writes in Charisma Magazine. He says, we should encourage healthy male friendships instead of sexualizing them. In our fatherless culture... Men are starved for affirmation and encouragement. God wired men to need close friends, but few of us are willing to build those kind of relationships because of insecurity, inferiority, or pride. The church today should do everything possible to encourage solid male friendships. Now, Leaving that, going back to this text, what is the clear teaching of this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 18? Well, if you go back to chapter 17, where I was two weeks ago, in the story of David and Goliath, one of the things that is not real clear in that passage, but you know it's, it's there because Jonathan is Saul's son, He is in charge of a third of the army, the Israelite army. So every morning when Goliath would come out and he would defile the Israelites and the God of the Israelites, there was Jonathan also as a commander of a third of the army watching this happen every day for 40 days in a row, morning and evening. But not even Jonathan as an outstanding warrior in his own right, not even Jonathan would go fight Goliath. Perhaps Saul wouldn't let him go do that. We don't know. But Jonathan watched this young man, perhaps 18, 19 years of age, David, go out and fight him without armor, with just a slingshot and stones, and kill Goliath, and take the sword, and chop off his head. Jonathan watched that. And Jonathan decided that day that he needed to take a step up in the male relationships he had in life. And he decided that day that he was going to be a good friend to this young man, David. Most of us, quite frankly, need to take a step up in some of the relationships that we have in life. Because you seldom will rise above the quality of the people with which you surround yourself with. Did you hear that? You seldom will rise above the quality of the people that you surround yourself with. So most of us need to take a step up in the quality of the people that we develop our friendships with if we want to rise to the top like cream does in milk. Henry Ford said, My best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. Doesn't drag me down, but lifts me up. 
Now this text also tells us that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. They were similar in the way that they thought, in the way that they felt, in the way that they made choices. They were similar, in, in one in spirit. They understood each other. You go to 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 16, and it provides an example of Jonathan being one in spirit, enough with David to know when David needed encouragement. And it says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. They were one in spirit, and he recognized that David needed encouragement, and Jonathan went to provide it to him. Secondly, this text tells us again that Jonathan loved David as himself. Jesus said to every one of us, love your neighbor as yourself. That means to put the interest of someone else above your own interests. Jonathan could very well, he had every right to be the next king of Israel. Every right. He was the son of Saul. He put his own right to be king second to David's anointing to be king. And he put it above his own right. He loved David as himself. He put David above his own interests. And then it tells us that David, or Jonathan, made a covenant with David. Now, covenants are very common things, in, in, especially in the Middle East. Uh, especially in the Old Testament times. You walk through the Old Testament and you see people making covenants all the time. And they often did it with pieces of clothing or shoes in particular, um, trading shoes and that kind of thing was as, as a symbol of making a covenant. Today we use legal contracts in uh, part to accomplish what covenants did in former times. But covenants are, are an agreement by which we establish the rules of the relationship. You can go buy property in some places and there will be covenants attached to some of those properties. So if you buy a certain property, you will be told that if you buy this property, you can or cannot have pigs, or you can or cannot have chickens, or you can and cannot have more than 25 chickens. Or, you know, And the rules are established for what you must and may not do on that property if if you come to own it. And so a covenant establishes the rules for that relationship. Well, this covenant that Jonathan made with David was, was very much that Jonathan was going to have David's back. He was going to be there for David. Saul gives the order in chapter 19 for Jonathan to kill David. Now that's a pretty remarkable conflict of interest there, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Father tells son to kill his best friend. And Jonathan is stuck in the middle and he has a choice to make. Do I obey father or do I kill my best friend? 
And Jonathan has made a covenant that he will always have David's back. And David is warned by Jonathan that his father is trying to kill him. (laughs) Jonathan lives up to his covenant. And David is protected. The last thing that you see in this passage in chapter 18 is that Jonathan sealed the covenant. Not like one consummates the marriage covenant in the bedroom, but by David giving, uh, by, by Jonathan giving David his robe, um, his, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And it demonstrated Jonathan's loyalty to David. Um, Jonathan, um, you know, is, is willing to do anything to help um, David. And so a lot of the old-time preachers, 50 years ago, when they talked about Jonathan, they called him a type. And a type was somebody in the Old Testament that represented someone in the New Testament. And so Jonathan was always, in, in old, you know, revivalistic preaching, he would be called someone that represented Jesus because Jesus laid down his life for us. Jonathan was willing to lay down his life for David in the same way. Now, Jonathan is probably about a dozen years older than um, David because if you go to Numbers chapter 1, verse 3, uh, we are told that you had to be 20 years old to be in the Israelite army. Um, Saul, at that point is already the commander of a third of the Israelite army. And so, you know, he's been developed, he's grown, he's grown into that. So he's, you know, he's probably 30, uh, right around that age, when David is going to fight Goliath. Uh, And David, we assume, is somewhere 17, 18, 19 years of age at that point. And so here later on, Jonathan takes off his robe and he gives it to this shepherd boy. And he's wearing the prince's outfit, the prince's robe, and all of that. He gives it to the shepherd boy, David, and it's an incredible honor in that society because what it does, it, it abolishes David's status as simply a shepherd. And it elevates him up to being part of the king's court and makes him equal with the king's son. Now, to get any part of the king's wardrobe would be a great honor, something to be prized. But when it comes off, when you take it off of somebody who is part of that court and you put it on someone else, it's a double honor. And so Jonathan, as a prince, takes off his robe and he gives it to David And David puts it on, and then Jonathan takes off um, his belt and tunic and all of that and gives it to him. And he basically transforms the identity of David overnight. Jonathan was using his friendship and all of his resources to add value to a young person. And Jonathan used his resources his friendship, and every part of his life to invest in helping someone else succeed 
and become better than he was going to become. It's an incredible, incredible act that Jonathan did there. Serving David and and equipping David to be the next king of Israel. When by all rights, Jonathan could have been that king. So what do we do with biblically-based, healthy male friendships? You find others in Scripture. You can go back to the book of Daniel, and you'll find Daniel along with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I said those out of order, didn't I? (laughs) Um, But you find those great friends who had this kind of loyalty and those kind of committed male friendships. They are characterized by unity of spirit, unselfishness, being willing to to do something for the other person, a covenant commitment, and very deep loyalty. And then when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 20, you find that Saul is still in pursuit of David. He still wants to take him out. He still wants to have him killed. And he's constantly looking for him. And David is running from one place to another in the wilderness and hiding in caves and doing all kinds of things to avoid being killed in those many years uh, of waiting. After he was anointed to be king, of waiting and waiting and waiting for the day to come when he would be king. And yet, in all of those years, the current king is trying to kill him. (laughs) And David flees, and he finally gets to Jonathan, and he asks Jonathan, he says, What have I ever done to give your father a reason to want to kill me? And Jonathan still, after everything he's been through, is still having a difficult time believing that his father would actually want to kill David. But he promised, he says, I will go find out. If he's still trying to kill you, and I will report to you. The New Moon Festival was coming up, and it was something that was celebrated in the king's court. And so that was the next day, and David remained in hiding while Jonathan went to that festival, and he sat, and David's chair was empty, and, and, and Jonathan went to just see how his father would respond to David not being there because they assumed that uh, Saul would try to kill him if he came to that, that festival. And so the first night, Saul thought about it and recognized that David was gone and just as assumed to himself that David must have been unceremonially clean and could not attend the dinner. But the second night of the festival, when David didn't show up, Saul couldn't wait any longer, and he asked Jonathan, what has happened? Why is David not here? And Jonathan told him that that, uh, David had gone back home to Bethlehem to meet with his family, to be with his family. And instantly Saul became angry and irate, and he cursed his own son Jonathan and ordered him to bring David to him to have him killed. And when David or when Jonathan asked what David had done that was worth dying for, Saul then attempted to kill Jonathan and took his spear and threw it at him. <laughs> Jonathan reported all of this to David. We ought to read our Bibles more often. There's interesting reading in there. Um, (laughs) Jonathan reports all of this to David and sent David 
on his way. And notice this verse in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 20, uh, 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. I want you to notice there how God-centered Jonathan viewed his relationship with David. He viewed it as a covenant between him and David and God, that it was in the name of the Lord that they had this friendship, and it was a sworn friendship. Um, and, and then um, he talks about the fact that you know this is going to outlive them, that they are going to be faithful to each other's descendants. Um, and they would persevere in their covenant with each other after they were separated, uh, even by death. And then you come after that, and you come to the end of Samuel, the very last chapter of Samuel, and the first chapter of Second Samuel, and you have the death of King Saul, and the death of Jonathan, and the death of two of his brothers in a battle with the Amalekites. Now, if Saul had just been obedient to God earlier when God told him to wipe out the Amalekites, they wouldn't have had this problem. But the Amalekites uh, killed Saul and Jonathan in this battle. And David's response, when it's finally reported to him, is, first of all, to lament and grieve concerning the death of King Saul and his son Jonathan. Now, that's an incredible statement of, of character in regard to David. For years, a decade or more, Saul has tried to kill him. <laughs> he has thrown spears at him. He's done all kinds of things to try to hunt him down and kill him. And yet, David lamented and grieved when the king of Israel had been killed, even though he was now to be the king. The second thing that David did is curse the mountain on which Jonathan was killed. And to this day, that mountain is barren. There is nothing that grows on that mountain in Israel. David also said and described um, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25 and 26, um, that his friendship with Jonathan was more important to him than the love of women. How the mighty have fallen in battle, Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. And there again, um, this is a passage that is taken out of context there, and he's really talking about the commitment level, that covenant commitment level of deep loyalty, of knowing that somebody has always got my back. David looks, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, for someone in the household of Jonathan for whom he can show kindness to years after Jonathan has died. Because David is still thinking about this covenant relationship, this friendship. Even though his friend has died, he's still thinking about ways to honor that covenant and honor his relationship with, with Jonathan. And so he asks his attendants, he says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? 
of Jonathan's house to whom I can show kindness. And he, they find this man named um, Mephibosheth um, that is crippled. He was crippled from uh, early, right after he was born. David adopts him. He cares for him. He turns back over to him all the land that was owned by King Saul. And he allowed him to eat at his table, the king's table, uh, the rest of his life. And so Jonathan does something here, uh, David does something here to honor that covenant relationship, that friendship he had with Jonathan that costs him something the rest of his life, taking care of him, providing for him. Now, one of the things that, that caught me a little off um, by surprise, I should say, as I looked at this story again, was I've, you know, I even labeled this David and Jonathan. I think that's probably the way it's labeled in our Bibles. But as you read 1 Samuel 18 and you read the whole story, what you really discover is that it's, this, this friendship is all about Jonathan taking the initiative and David receiving from what Jonathan decided. And, you know, I had always kind of thought of it as an equal relationship, and they were just good friends. But you walk through this story, and it's consistent all the way in those first four verses of chapter 18. Jonathan did this. Jonathan did that. Jonathan did this. Jonathan took the initiative in this relationship. And so, um, clearly... David benefited from this relationship a whole lot more from this friendship than the older Jonathan did. There were two things that you could find in this whole story that David did for Jonathan. One, David pledged to make Jonathan second in command once he became king. But Jonathan died just before he became king, so he never got to fulfill that. Secondly, David pledged to protect Jonathan's family from being slain when he became king, and he did that. And David went out of his way to honor that pledge by finding Mephibosheth and bringing him back to the king's table, returning Saul's land and taking care of his needs. But that's all that we can really find in this whole story of of David and what David did for Jonathan. Everything else is all a matter of what Jonathan did for David, who took his place as the next king of Israel. So I want to ask you this morning, who are you befriending? Not for your sake. Not for you to get anything out of that friendship, that relationship. Who are you investing your life in? It will cost you something, but you're going to build up that person and help them succeed in a way that you will not during your lifetime. If we really are to love our neighbor as ourselves, there probably are some people that you and I ought to give our lives to to help them, 
to encourage them, to build them up in the faith, and to help them rise above anything that you and I will ever attain during our life. It's a pretty amazing passage, a pretty amazing story about Jonathan. But I think it's got a great message. Your life cannot be about your life. My life cannot be about my life. We were not put here for things to be about us. God placed us here to make a difference, to make an impact. And there probably is a David who could not be what he could be if you don't come along beside and make them and invest your life in to make them what they could be.